Smoking and Drinking in Space is a proud member of the Earglue Media Network. Catherine, we were just talking. That's not the point and you know it. Nobody cares about space camp more than I do. And you've been on my case since day one. Why? The first time I met you, I saw it in your eyes. It's like looking in a mirror. You're special, Catherine. Why are you so hard on me? Because someday you're going up. But the only way you will is if you have every drill down better than everyone else. There's no room for mistakes. Every I dotted, every T crossed. That's the way I learned it. That's the way you'll learn it. You copy? Welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. I'm Jason, and this week we have Albert from the Cantina Cast and the Basement Podcast. Very lucky to have him on board. Uh, he's wow. a fellow member of the EGM Network. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't think anyone has ever said they've been lucky to have me do anything with them. So I really appreciate that uh, that warm welcome. Uh, it's been great. Oh, but yeah, man. I'm glad to be here, honestly. Um if I can just real quickly, I've, uh, I, I'm not completely caught up on smoking and drinking because you guys have a lot of stuff out there and I haven't really had a chance to go back and listen to a lot of the um, Battlestar Galactic episodes, but more of the more recent ones, probably last, oh, I'll go back maybe 15, 20, I've gotten caught up. Um, so I've really enjoyed it. I think you guys have done a great job and I'm actually happy to be here to talk about a very special movie that warms my heart. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, greatly appreciate that. Um, I mean, if if our if our show is half as good as as the shows that you produce, then then we're doing great. So, <laughs> um, thanks thanks a lot. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you've introduced yourself. Uh, you you have a couple podcasts that you host, the Cantina yeah. Cast and the Basement. Um, what interest in sci-fi do you have other than you know the Star Wars interest? You're you're like a Star Wars guru. You you I thought I knew a lot about Star Wars, and then I started listening to the Cantina Cast, and it's like a drop in the bucket compared to what your knowledge <laughs> of Star Wars. So, yeah, well, it's uh, well, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, the so yes, on Cantina Cast, it's really like a we tout it as a thought-provoking Star Wars talk uh, discussion. It's kind of like the Thinking Man's show, if you will. So really kind of break down characters, get into their head, talk about scene analysis, quote analysis, try to tie that back into like real world mythology or uh, religion, um, just personal experiences, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the the basis um, of the show. But I guess outside of that, I'm really a huge science fiction fan nut. Um, the Basement, you mentioned that. That's another podcast I do that's uh, based around Ready Player One, the novel, though we do touch on the movie from time to time. It's really focused on the novel and talking about a lot of the the sci-fi aspects of the novel chapter by chapter, but we really break down a lot of the pop culture references in that uh, more than anything. But I would say beyond that, I mean, 
I, I mean, I'm looking at my my list of movies and everything else on my shelf. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it's just it's kind of all over the place, really, in terms of just what uh, I will and will not watch in terms of science fiction. I would say there's probably very little that I will not watch, and right. just about everything in terms of you know the rest. So yeah, I've I've drawn a line in the sand on Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, um, that's a great movie. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got clowns. It's got and they're killer clowns. Killer clowns. Thank so, you. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not interested. But yeah. <laughs> uh, what about the like Ghoulies? You and the Ghoulies, or like uh, any of the other weird ones that came out? So, I vaguely remember Ghoulies. That that was that was so long ago, and I was so young whenever I watched it that yeah. I, I don't remember a lot about it. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much open to anything. I mean, we did Battle Beyond the Stars on this. Nice. Um, so, yeah, any any kind of sci-fi camp uh, or you know mainstream sci-fi, we're 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 so open to that. Um, That's great. Killer clowns from outer space, not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm surprised you allowed me to actually pick the movie because most people don't allow me to, uh, allow me to pick anything because you're gonna you're gonna probably get something really weird. But I thought it was pretty safe with this one. Um, so I again I. I'm very happy that you indulged me and allow me to pick the movie that we have tonight. Oh, no, no, not a problem. I mean, this this was actually a really good movie. It was one that I hadn't seen. It was actually one the, the wife had seen. So this week we're going to discuss the movie that asked the question, what if NASA were incompetent and then threw kids on a space shuttle and into space? And this movie <laughs> stars Kate Capshaw, Leah Thompson, and Kelly Preston. It's 1986's Space Camp. Um, it was actually a pretty good movie. Um before we get into the movie, though, uh, we usually do a segment on this show where we where we do some news. Uh, would you like to do some news this week? Let's do some news. All right. So uh, the first and only news item that I have for this week is you've heard about the new Picard Star Trek series, right? I have. Uh, Crowley seems to be like my, he's my source for all of the the latest updates in in the Star Trek land. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's a, he's a huge uh, Star Trek fan. So, and this is actually something that that really excites me um, because I like Star Trek: The Next Generation. I think all the rest of the Star Trek after that is is pretty much trash. But Star Trek TNG, uh, good stuff. And they're going to do a Picard Star Trek series. And the Nerdist has an article that basically sums up everything that we know so far about the new Star Trek uh, Picard series. So hmm. goes over, you know, who's going to be in the series, what the show's about, uh, maybe some of the behind the scenes uh, stuff that's been discussed. Uh, any other, you know, classic Trek characters from uh the Next Generation series that might be on there. Uh, they kind of do some uh, projections on if there will be a starship and what would that be like? Yeah. Uh, is this going to be, what kind of series is this going to be? So it's it's a pretty good read. Uh, it's fairly in-depth. It basically is an aggregate of everything that we know so far about the series. And it looks like uh, the series is going to be, it uh, looks like they pushed it to early 2020. So it's about a year away. Gotcha. Yeah, so, we actually covered this on The Basement. There was an episode, I, I want to say it was the episode with Crowley. I mean, Crowley's been on a few episodes now in The Basement, but um, we just around. finished chapter, what's that? That guy gets around. He does get around. Um, <laughs> but uh, we just finished uh, chapter six, and chapter six of the Ready Player One novel has a lot of pop culture references and 
he uh, reels off, uh, Ernest Klein reels off a ton of uh, references to Star Trek and some of the shows. And we did talk about this uh, series coming out, and this was maybe about five, six months ago. So it's been some time now. Um, but I think that one of the open questions I had, and maybe if you have the answer, haven't read the news article because I haven't been uh, really following this that closely, but I had a question about whether or not this was actually going to tie into the J.J. Abrams movies in any way. Was Did they make any uh, clarification on that? They haven't made clarification, but from everything that we've seen so far, um, probably not. Although You're maybe. Keep those separate, so, yeah. It, it depends on when this takes place. So if this takes place um, before Spock decides to try and, and stop the supernova, then no, it won't take place in, in right, Abrams' right. timeline because it hasn't happened yet. However, it may turn out to be part of not necessarily Abrams' timeline, but uh, a parallel timeline where Spock tried to um, stop the, the nova from happening and then got sucked into the the time warp. Um, but everybody thinks he's dead. So the supernova happened. Romulus got destroyed. The Romulans are now refugees. And this show, everybody thinks, is going to start trying to explore, you know, what is the Federation going to do to, to help the Romulans and mm -hmm. what that power vacuum looks like and who's going to try and fill that void. So it might be kind of adjacently related to gotcha. the Abrams timeline. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I can't wait, honestly. I, I'm a big fan of Star Trek, really, and actually really enjoy, and you're going to hate me for this because I almost I was cringing when you said everything else after that was trash, but I actually really enjoyed Voyager, and it wasn't until I got oh. Joe, who's one of your co-hosts over at uh, Bad Gamers Anonymous, right. I got Joe on the show, and he gave me some great episodes to watch. I brought him on to do the uh, Deep Space Nine breakdown. And he gave me some great, great episodes that I just, I really overlooked. I think it's a, a kind of an underrated show in, in my opinion, but um, I have really enjoyed all of them. But I would say Star Trek Next Generation is is probably a very, very close second for me. Voyager, for whatever reason, was one I just loved. So but. Voyager isn't, I don't consider Voyager as bad as like Deep Space Nine or <laughs> or Enterprise or, you know, the, the new one, uh, Discovery. Uh, but it's, I don't know. Gilligan's Island in space just didn't appeal to me. So. Oh, hold on. I'm, I'm texting Joe right now. Cause I really <laughs> want to see this fight uh, pan out. I'll, I'll fight him. Well, no, I won't. <laughs> I've seen him. So no, there's yeah. no way he'd break me in half. All right. Well, um, so I don't know if you know this, you, you say you've, uh, you've listened to some of the shows. Are you familiar with the pod crawl? Man, I am a huge fan of the pod crawl, and, I'm, and I've told you this, and I'll say it publicly here tonight. When I heard it, I really wanted to steal it. In fact, <laughs> I think I pinged you like the minute after I heard it and was like, how did you do this, and <laughs> can I take this from you? Because I really wanted to use something very similar uh, on the basement. So kudos to you guys for doing it. I think it's a, it's a great segment, so I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Uh, I haven't heard it, so whenever you're ready, man, fire well, that thing off. you're in luck, because here we go. Let's crawl. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod crawl. The pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Excellent. Insert it deep. Pod crawl. Kind of like a space suppository full of information. Dreaming of seeing John Glenn orbit the Earth but looking during the wrong time, Andy dedicates her life to reaching space herself. Reaching her goal of becoming an astronaut, she is denied mission status because she doesn't carry the right equipment. Meeting up with her husband, yep. Viper, who is apparently on leave from Miramar, he hands her a consolation prize of babysitting for the summer. 
The two watches their seasonal charges come rolling in by plane, train and automobile. After herding all the cats through registration and assigning them colors, we are introduced to the blue team, a mishmash of tropes straight from Screenplay 101. Yes. There's Kevin, the Zen philosopher by way of Big Sur. Catherine, the people-pleaser overachiever with confidence issues. Tish, the valley girl genius slash blonde with photographic memory. Larry, the guy who's in the film to move the plot along sometimes. Yep. And finally Max, the young robotics whiz whose Star Wars obsession rivals that of Albert. Andy assigned roles to her team and the training begins. The team fumbles with the EVA simulator. The team fumbles with their spacesuits. The team fumbles with the simulator. Catherine fumbles with the flight trainer. Max befriends BB-8's $27 million grandfather, Jinx, and reprograms it to add suspense to the plot later on. Kevin grins his way into a date with Catherine on the launch pad in violation of curfew where they get caught with no repercussions, but Kevin blames Max who then wishes he were in space, and Jinx hatches a plot to get him there. Another simulator snafu puts their teamwork skills to the test when their power dies during re-entry approach. Kevin's laissez-faire attitude toward leadership and Catherine's need to be in control along with Larry and Tish arguing over how to fix the problem while Max is stuck outside causes the shuttle to burn up in the atmosphere. The kids are then rewarded for their failure as a team by getting to take part in an engine burn test by sitting aboard the shuttle Atlantis. Jinx reprograms the test to fire a single booster forcing mission control to fire the other booster and the shuttle launches Andy and her lovable team of misfits into orbit. Realizing they only have a fraction of the oxygen they need to survive to the next re-entry window, they make their way toward the conveniently located Daedalus space station that has oxygen tanks strapped to its superstructure. Hey, Andy gets injured and is unconscious while trying to attach an oxygen tank to the shuttle and the kids have to manage on their own. Through overcoming their individual character flaws and magically learning to work as a team, they bring Andy back to consciousness through the power of wishes, successfully manhandle the shuttle through re-entry and roll challenger landing footage credits. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty much the show. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining. <laughs> no, I mean, as as much crap as I gave it for uh, <laughs> through through the pod crawl, it was actually a pretty good movie. I actually really enjoyed it. Like I said, it's the it's the first time that I had seen it. Uh, my wife actually remembers going to the theater and seeing it yes. back in 1986. So absolutely. Um, and I think so. The the, the Movie was a success financially, but not that much. It only made about double what the production costs were. And it was unfortunately released at a very bad time for the space program because it was released shortly after the, the Challenger um, disaster. So, yeah. And I, and I just want to clarify I think you have that flip. The budget was $18 million. This thing only brought in like nine, ten oh, million. Oh, did I tops. read that wrong? So, yeah, okay. yeah. So it didn't actually, no, it's, it's, it, it's really a good, like to your point, this is a, it's a great movie. I've always loved this movie. And much like your wife, I went and saw it in the theater. And I remember going into the theater and it was barren. Like there was really, I don't remember anyone else in there, but maybe, you know, one other person or a couple, I don't know. It was like myself and a friend of mine. We got on our bikes, rode down to the mall. Went to see this movie because we were, you know, really into the, we were obsessed at this point, right? With the space shuttle because of what had happened with Challenger. Um, but no one had seen this. None of my friends had seen this movie. Nobody wanted to see the movie. It just really came at a really bad time. I think had that not happened, I think this movie probably would have done well, at least broken even, given, uh, you know, the the high budget. Because $18 million, that's quite a bit of money back in 1986 right. for a movie that doesn't really seem to have a lot of special effects. No, it didn't. Um, a lot of the, I mean, so I watched it in a high def, um, so the the high def retransfer. So some of the space scenes where they kind of matted in the the space shuttle, you could definitely tell that was that yeah. was some matting. But the the sets that they used on the for the shuttle 
um, I mean, they, that was that was probably pretty costly. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure they had that set on a gimbal in order to kind of simulate, you know, some of the 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 spinning and and some of the weightlessness that they had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the special effects weren't. I mean, there there wasn't a ton of special effects. I'm sure that robot Jinx probably cost a little bit to produce. Yeah, um, so. I think most of the and most of it was at the very end, like that the last scenes, right when they're in space, is probably where they spent most of their budget, and then because uh, there was a lot of uh, you know, f- you know, space shots, yeah, uh, and and the reentry, which that looked like a model all the way, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, unless they just paid NASA NASA a ton of money just to film on location, but it was like <laughs> a big plug for them, so I don't know, they probably got some money from them on that, a kickback or sorts. Where did they? I want to say that they did film this on at, at at actual space camp in yes in they filmed it in yeah Huntsville Alabama that's right and um so a, a lot of the actual space camp scenes were were filmed at an actual NASA space camp it wasn't in Florida like they uh, depicted it was actually in in Huntsville but um yeah I don't think they filmed on location in orbit um <laughs> on on the space shuttle Atlantis yeah yeah, but no, the, the the story was good. I mean, it was it was definitely an an eighties movie. It, it has some deep eighties DNA. Um, you you've got you got every stereotype in the book. You you've got the the, the California Valley girl, the the California surfer. Um, you've you've got the the army brat uh, that that moves around and has trouble making friends. Uh, you've got the 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 kid that nobody pays attention to and and then ends up saving the day. Yeah, and there was one other thing too that just I it was gnawing at me here. In the pod crawl you had you kept calling him Larry. And I think you meant that's Larry B. Scott if you meant <laughs> instead of Rudy. <laughs> yeah. So I called him by the actor name instead of uh <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. So another acceptable answer would have been Lamar Latrell from Revenge from of the Nerds. From Revenge of the his, Nerds, yes. That's his other big role that everybody remembers him from. And and that's the thing I think that that surprised me about this movie and and why I think that you know, it was just timing that killed this movie because it had some decently large name actors. I mean, it had Tom Skerritt. Yeah, um, it had everything. Leah Thompson. She was fresh off of uh, uh, Back to the Future, and um, you know it had Larry S. Larry. Uh, oh my gosh, what is this? Yeah, Larry B. Scott. Yeah, Larry B. Scott off of Revenge of the Nerds, and that was that was a pretty remarkable movie back in the early eighties. Yep. So I don't, you had Lee Phoenix, right? Nobody, well, this is before he was known as Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Well, this was um, his, uh, this was his film debut. So yeah. Right. And we could tell, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, if there's a weak link in the chain in the fence, it's, it's probably him in this, in terms of his acting, but there's actually moments where he's really good. And then other moments where you're like, wow, you're, you're a child actor and you kind of stink. But, right. Right. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from him because that guy's amazing now. I mean, he's really oh, yeah. gotten good at his craft and I'm, you know, not to plug the, the new Joker film, but I'm looking really forward to that. Oh yes. Yeah. We, we've, we've talked about the Joker film on this, on this, uh, pod before. And yeah, it's, it looks incredible just from some of the teaser trailers that would, that they've put out. I mean, he, he looks demented in some of yep. those te- teaser trailers. So he's, he's definitely got the look. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. And Joaquin didn't live, you know, a charm life by any means. I mean, his whole family was in that cult and who knows what that did to him. So he's just going to be channeling some of that inner grief and tragedy that he went through. You know, we would be remiss without mentioning Frank Welker too. So Frank Welker right. is the, the voice of Jinx, uh, who for me is Megatron. I right. Mean, 
that's the voice he's always done. But if you go back and look at his work, I mean, he's done, and we've talked about this on the basement. He's done so many voices from all of your favorite childhood eighties cartoons. I guarantee you he did a voice in one of those cartoons at some point in that show series. So, Oh yeah, absolutely prolific in his, his voice acting. He did, uh, he did Megatron. Um, Oh, what else has he done? Uh, he was in Scooby-Doo. He did Fred Jones. Um, yep. Oh my gosh. He was in inspector gadget too. He did Mr. Mitzelplix on the, on the, oh, yeah, uh, super friends, super friends. He played Dark Side on the Super Friends. Um, yeah, he's he just did tons of stuff. <laughs> he played yeah, Hefty Smurf and Poet Smurf on the Smurfs. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah. You look at that list, and it's never-ending in terms of how many cartoons he did. Um, and then Tate Donovan, which I don't, I didn't really like him in this movie, honestly. Even as a kid, I always thought he was kind of creepy and, like, lusting over my woman from Howard the Duck. But uh, it's funny. He actually shares the same birthday as I do. Um, for whatever reason, every year when my birthday comes around, I think, oh, today's Tate Donovan's birthday. <laughs> that's, uh, that's of all. It's also Mark Hamill's birthday. Oh, well, so, yeah, that would be the one that I would associate <laughs> well, if I yeah, had that right. birthday, I mean, not, not Tate Donovan. In fact, I can't <laughs> think of off the top of my head what else Tate Donovan has been in. I mean, I've seen him in several other movies, but it's not... It's not as a as a leading actor. He's he's kind of been that supporting actor in a movie. He's almost like Sam Rockwell before Sam Rockwell started getting some leading acting roles. Yeah. He's, he's just that guy. Oh yeah, I remember seeing him. What? I I can't remember what I've seen him in, but yeah, he's been in some movies that I've seen. His his biggest role for me is not even this. His it's actually Hercules. He does the voice of Hercules from the 1987 uh Hercules animated cartoon. I don't know if you've seen that one, but yeah, the movie? I can go the distance. That yeah, was that him? One. Yeah, that's him. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, he was in the OC, I think. I never really watched that show. Um, and I know when the show was out, he was uh, kind of a, a big name again, uh, but then, you know, slipped away. And then I think that's kind of how he landed the Disney role, or at least, you know, there was some relation there that, you know, his work had done, the, the work he had done there kind of helped him get that role there so yeah but beyond that yeah I, I don't know that he's done much that people remember yeah i had i had no idea a lot of the the actors behind the disney characters i mean unless unless they're like robin williams and you can just tell by the yeah. by their performance yeah i had no idea tom scarrett uh reprised his role of viper from top gun in this um <laughs> that's a i caught that in the pod crawl that was <laughs> Excellent, because that's that's exactly who I don't know him any other 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 than that. Uh, Strawberry, I don't know if you've ever seen Up in Smoke, the Cheech and Chong movie. Yep, yep. He was uh, Uncle Strawberry, so he was the the crazy guy with the glasses. He was a world, like a Vietnam vet in that movie. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two things. Well, I should say Alien too. All right, Alien, Strawberry from uh, Up in Smoke, and this movie, and, well, and then Top Gun. Those are the four big movies for me, but. Again, he's just been in so many well, he movies, was, yeah. TV and uh, otherwise. So the the first time I ever saw him, or the first movie that I guess I really ever saw him in was Top Gun. But um, I also remember him in MASH. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He was in that. He was in MASH. Uh, he was in Steel Magnolia. Um, yep. And that was a great movie. I cried. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I did. I actually sure. never saw Steel Magnolia until after I got married, and I think uh, I think my wife insisted that I watch Steel Magnolias. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's 
those river are, runs through it. I heard that's another one too that I've always loved that movie, but I think he was the the father figure in that one. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Oh, it's great. It's uh directed by Robert Redford. Oh wow. Which I don't know if you're a okay. big fan of him, but good stuff. And then of course Kelly Preston, um, which I know her from uh being ta- uh John Travolta's wife. That's Aww. basically <laughs> I remember her in in Jerry Maguire. Um yes. it says that she was in twins. I for some reason I don't remember her in twins. But I remember her in Jerry Maguire, and I remember that she's married to John Travolta. So um, she looks totally different in this movie. She looks so different as as a blonde from the the, the time that I've seen her in other movies, and so young. Um, mm-hmm. I almost didn't recognize her at first. So I I, I kind of had an idea once I I watched the movie for a little bit, and then I looked it up to verify. But yeah, I didn't I didn't remember her. The other, the other movie that I remember her from is, and I don't know if any of your listeners are probably going to never want me back on this show. Uh, <laughs> there was a Disney movie, like Disney TV movie that came out called Sky High. Have you ever seen this? I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> okay. So, so Sky High is like this, it came out in 2005 and it's basically a, a superhero movie, right? It's kind of like the Incredibles before the Incredibles um, it's got like Kurt Russell as the dad, Kelly Preston pay, plays the mother and it's just basically this family of superheroes. Oh yeah. I have yeah, so seen was, that. My kids were, yeah, around five and six years old around that time. I do remember seeing that. Right. So if you were, yeah. And if you had kids in this time, I mean, and you, you, you know, all kids end up, you know, gravitating to Disney at some point, the Disney channel, but you could not get anywhere on that channel without this thing being plugged. And it's actually a, a really good movie. I don't, I, I say that, uh, because, and, and I have a lot of bad movies that I like, but trust me, this one actually is, is actually really good. But, uh, that's the other movie that I remember her from more than probably this movie or, you know, twins or, uh, I think she was in the cat in the hat and some other stuff that I loosely remember seeing, but, but yeah, sky high, go check it out. So this is a, this is a fun movie. For you, from what you've said, what what makes it so close and dear to your heart? Well, hands down, it's it's the Star Wars reference <laughs> because <laughs> so, and I did this. So we did it. We did a show. Uh, I did an episode. We have this this. Uh, so we do the, our main show, Cantina Cast, and then we have these like um yeah, these little one off episodes that we do called Tales from the Cantina. Mm-hmm. And I recently did one called. Um, uh, the dark times. And it was me just basically talking. It's like a single solo show that I did. It's maybe about 15 minutes long. And it's just me talking about the period of time between like 19, you know, we'll just call it 1985, 84, somewhere around there, all the way up to about 1991. And I, I usually refer that refer to that as the dark times. And one of the things that I mentioned in that, uh, that episode was this guy was kind of who we all were during that time because we really didn't have a lot of star Wars. There was the comic book and there were some other things that were out, but for the most part, we weren't living in a world like we are today where we've got TV series and a whole network coming out live action, you know, brand new movies, uh, video games left and right. Uh, we just didn't have any of that stuff. It was very few and far between that. We had any kind of star Wars content. So when this movie came out in 1986, return of the Jedi had already been over for three years. Mm-hmm. The droids cartoon was going off. They had already gone off the air. The Ewoks cartoon had already gone off the air. And most of us as Star Wars fans 
we're kind of living vicariously through these other characters or references or special effects that we would find in other movies right. that had nothing to do with Star Wars at times. Right. And so as a as a 13 year old, seeing somebody able to quote these movies like I was quoting the movies, I was very it was very relatable to me uh, as a kid. And so that's where I think it earned kind of a, a special place in my heart, simply just because of Max's ability to to kind of rattle off the Star Wars quotes left and right. Right. Even when he got them wrong, though? Yeah, well, <laughs> they get them pretty, they're pretty close. I mean, it, I mean, they, yeah, I would, I, there's some of them are, they've taken some uh, creative uh, liberties <laughs> with the quotes themselves. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I've always, uh, you know, this was, again, I saw it in the theater. Um, I own it on VHS. Uh, I've got a, a pretty extensive VHS collection, which that probably sounds weird again to your user, or followers. So apologies in advance. Um and I, I have not been able to, I, I like this movie so much. I've actually been looking for the soundtrack on cassette tape and I have never been able to find it. And even to this day, if you were to go out uh, and, and check on eBay, it just does not show up very often. So once I get my hands on that, my collection will be complete. Yeah. So I was actually looking for some of the songs on this movie. Uh, some of the songs specifically by Joseph Williams, which is um, John Williams' son, from what I understand. Yep. Yeah, this is their. It's a father son duo here, right? With the uh, soundtrack, right? John Williams did the the score, uh, the choreographer, or the uh, the score, and uh, Joseph Williams did three of the songs um, that weren't actually included on the soundtrack. So uh, there's American Girl, yep. Uh, Don't look back and turn it up. And I was looking for American Girl, and I could not find it. I mean, it's it it's, is it's not there. It is so hard to find. In fact, most of most of Joseph Williams' stuff prior to him joining Toto in 86 is almost gone. Like, it's so rare to find. I picked up a recently, um, uh, in fact, I think you were the only one that said, hey, that's pretty cool when I posted this because I was, I was getting really geeking out that I had found Joseph Williams' uh, debut album on cassette on eBay. It was brand new, still in a package, and some Right. Schmuck was selling it for like six bucks and that included shipping. That was all over this <laughs> oh, thing, man. I had no kidding. Bragging to my wife and kids and anybody else that could hear me. Um, so I got that one in. But yeah, it's it's extremely hard to find. And that American Girl song is like one of my favorites. Uh, and it plays just very briefly in the scene when they're heading out to the uh, to want to look at the shuttle yeah. right in front of the water. There. Right. Um, but it's a great song. And most of his stuff is is actually pretty good. It's really cheesy, poppy, 80s stuff, if that's your thing. Uh, but he, he's actually done some, some really good stuff. Yeah. I wanted to listen to American girl just because, I mean, there's several songs with the title American girl. I wanted to see if this was a cover or if this was an original work that just no, was no, titled. Yeah. No, uh, this is an original piece. It's not a, uh, a remake of any, any of the other And I could not American find it on the internet. It was just non-existent. I still haven't even heard it. I mean, I've, I've heard the, the brief piece that was, that was on the movie, but I mean, that was what, two, three seconds long. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe five at most. Yeah. Like it was playing whenever they drove up and then he killed the Jeep and it was done. So, yeah. Um, and funny enough, if I could throw this in as well. So Joseph Williams is also known for Lap the Neck, which is the song that plays in Jabba's Palace. Really? So this is in 83 in Return of the Jedi. This was kind of like his first thing. It's about the, about the same time that his debut album can, had come out. Uh, but that's the other thing that I think he's known for, uh, at least from uh, those of us that follow Star Wars pretty pretty hardcore. Right. Yeah, and I like John Williams' work on this movie. I mean, it's it's not as mm -hmm. iconic as as some of his other movies, like Indiana Jones and Star Wars, but um, it was it was still really good. I mean, 
a lot of movies, I don't even notice the music, which is probably, you know, pretty good. Um, it's movies that you, you really notice the music that, that enhance the movie or the, the worst part is, is the movies where you notice the music and it just, it takes you out of the movie experience. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that, uh, I thought John Williams work in this movie really, really enhanced the movie. So especially, yeah. especially towards the end when they were in space and, and yes. doing all of that. So yeah, that scene, once they get out in the space, uh, and they finally make it out into space, and they're kind of panning around. They're showing, you know, the kid and stuff. That score in that moment really makes that scene yeah. way more than it probably needs to be. And that's probably true of the whole movie, right? Right. We always talk about John Williams and, and how he's able to kind of lift a movie to that next level. And, and it, you know, the, the movie is as good as the soundtrack. And that's kind of what we, we expect from John Williams. And I think this is one of those instances where he really did kind of, you know, do a really good justice, do a good favor, do a solid one for the movie itself, just because the score is actually pretty decent. Um, it's... Typical John Williams. He barely, rarely does anything that's bad. Yeah. Of course, you know, we can talk about set design, but there wasn't just a whole lot of set design in this because they did it actually at Space Camp in in, in Huntsville. So yep. um, it's pretty accurate to what was going on in 1986. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's only like one Space Camp left in the world. They used yeah. to have several. Um, they actually had one in uh, in Florida at the time, but uh, that was closed back in, I think, the early 2000s. So is the last the one... one that's... Uh, no, the last one is actually in Huntsville. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I know, like, NASA is open here in Houston, or in Texas here, um, still. We go up there about every two years, but I didn't realize they actually still had a space camp uh, program going on. Yeah. That seems really inexpensive. I probably should sign all five of my kids up for that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how how much it actually is. I never went to space camp or looked into space camp. In fact, I think I was probably 16 or 17 years old before I even knew space space camp existed and wasn't really interested in going into space camp at that point. I was more interested in girls. So, <laughs> um <laughs> I think after this movie I really wanted to go to space camp, but I really more than anything wanted to fly in on a biplane land oh, and yeah. then go to space camp, right? Yeah, that was, was that really necessary? I mean. It's <laughs> like over the top. Like, how do they allow that? Who, who gave them the air clearance to bring yeah. in a biplane? Just going to land right, right on, uh, right on NASA grounds in, in Florida in restricted airspace. So. Right. No big deal. Yeah. It's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> what are we talking about? Set? Yeah, we were talking about set. So I thought the, the set for the shuttle um, I, I guess that's accurate. I've never been inside the shuttle and <laughs> yeah, fooled me. <laughs> I mean, it looks like, it looks like every space shuttle set I think I've ever seen. Yeah, Not that I've seen a lot of them. I was, but. I mean, I thought at first that, oh my gosh, they didn't do hardly any design work on this because I mean, it's, it's like basically plywood and buttons. What are they doing? But yeah, <laughs> I guess. That if you, you look at the credits, they they do make they give credit to two of the astronauts um, that were on set that helped them with a lot of the I don't know teaching them this is what you should do or this is how that works kind of thing. So I would imagine they had to have like a subject matter expert in one of those guys. I would I would hope, but but yeah, I mean it looked like a space shuttle. I don't I don't know what else. Got a lot of buttons, a lot of stuff flashing. That's yeah, usually you and, know good start. And none of the buttons have labels. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine trying to memorize every button on that panel and what they do? And you, 
and you see why these kids struggled yeah. so so much to, when they got out in the space because nothing was freaking labeled. I know, and, and they're just expected to you know memorize where all that stuff is. And can you imagine hitting the wrong button at the wrong time? Yeah, Oops, well, I hit the one two spaces to the left instead of three, and now we're all gonna die. Exactly. Well, and that that happens, believe it or not. I mean, we'll get maybe we'll get to that later, but like the oxygen scene when the, she's trying to you know connect the oxygen tank back up and. There were none of those. They're like, oh, yeah, it's just hook it up to the whatever valve next to the blue one. And she looks down and like those aren't labeled either. And there's like three blue ones in there. <laughs> and they're Where's looking the at a they're looking at a schematic that doesn't have any labels. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just I mean, just horribly wrong. Lines. And you wonder why it's underfunded these days. Right. So, yeah, that, that gets to an interesting point as to, you know, what's the plausibility? OK, First of all, it's not plausible that a robot is going to be able to reprogram the the test bed that NASA is going to be uh, that NASA is doing. Uh, yeah. Second of all, it's it's not plausible that they're going to put a bunch of kids on the space shuttle while they're doing engine tests on the space shuttle. But where was the waiver? I want to see the waiver. Like I, I really want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say that for some reason. Uh, NASA decided, yeah, we're going to put kids on a on a space shuttle while we're doing engine tests. What's the plausibility that NASA doesn't have? Because NASA, like we've said on this show before, is all about redundancy. Yeah, and they've what's what's the plausibility that NASA doesn't have you know two or three different abort sequences that they could have gone through before they even launched, much less after they launched? Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> There's such a huge level of suspension of disbelief in, in watching this movie. I mean, if you can get past that, then you're all right. Yeah. Otherwise, don't even, I mean, you just want to turn the TV off at that point. I know. Because. But no, it, it was still pretty fun, even though, you know, the the, the end was was a stretch. I did like the interpersonal uh, the interpersonal uh, interactions uh, between the, the, the various teens. Um, especially, I guess... Uh, Kevin and Catherine's character, you know, it's it's your your basic uh, kind of '80s romance where um, he turns on the charm and she falls for it. It was a little bit, I guess, formulaic there. Um, Tish actually was was a fun character, even though she was pretty stereotypical. It was it was it, I, I see what they were trying to do there they were trying to take the the normal valley girl stereotype and turn it on its head by yeah. you know making her super intelligent and have an eidetic memory and everything um and i think it works to to a certain extent i think she probably played a little too hard on the on the valley girl aspect of it though um i don't know what are your yeah. thoughts no i would agree and in fact i mean it culminates in uh, towards the very end uh where she i can't remember the line now i have it here somewhere it it that's one of those lines that always stuck with me forever but it's the whole whip me chain me take away my credit card or whatever it was <laughs> right. i'm like what in the heck are you talking about girl because that no one says that i don't think anybody said that in 86 for the record i was there in 86 no one talked that way i don't care where you were from in california or elsewhere um but yeah i think they kind of over i don't know who wrote this i, I don't forget now who the writers were but it seemed like that was a little bit forced but she didn't really i mean she didn't have that many roles or lines in it uh, early on, I think she had more speaking parts. And then, you know, once they got into space, I think she kind of sobered up for the most part. But, but yeah, it was a, it was a neat little twist, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we got the obligatory 80s nuke reference. Um, 
<laughs> was that the that was Kevin that mentioned yeah, that? Yeah, right? that was Kevin that mentioned What's that. The we're all gonna blow, we're all gonna buy it, <laughs> blown up anyways. Whatever. Yeah, can't but have the, an eighties uh, movie without a, a nuclear holocaust reference. That's right. Cold War. It was real then. Yeah, it was. It was on everybody's mind. Oh yeah, the communications failure seemed like a plot device. So one of the one of the things that I looked up was. Uh, they don't have interchangeable radios on the space shuttle. The radio that's on there is is on the space shuttle. It's the same radio yeah. that's on there all the time. So that's uh, see, I wouldn't have known that. I, it's like to me that seems like oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. They use short wave radio or short length or whatever radios because they were you know they kept mentioning oh this wasn't flight ready, this wasn't flight ready, right? They they blamed a lot of it on the fact that it wasn't flight ready, and I guess that makes sense, but. Yeah, now that I think about it, it's like, hmm, that seems like it would take a lot of rewiring and all kinds of other nonsense just to to do that. Why would you? Why would you just not use the standard long-range radio? Right. What are you, saving <laughs> money, batteries? I don't understand why you would do that. But, but yeah, I guess that's that doesn't make a lot of sense. But it sure did add to the drama later on. It did. It did. I love that the, the shuttle can go into a flat spin, like in Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and foreshadowing, right? She's in that little simulator early on in the movie, and she's like, "Oh, you're in a flat. If you're in a flat spin, blah blah." And then, sure enough, wow, look at that! Here we go. You know, ten minutes before the movie's over. Oh, the and yeah, the, she goes into a flat spin. The for, foreshadowing in this movie was, yeah, I mean, it was blatant in your face. They they basically bludgeoned you to death with, okay, this is this is all their character flaws. These are these are how um, this is basically how they're going to change at the end of the movie and be able to work together so yep are you ready and go <laughs> the first thing that i thought of whenever i saw jinx and after he reprogrammed him and uh jinx came back to life was johnny fives alive <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is uh yeah i'm trying to think short circuit was in 85 i think that was right? after this um if i remember correctly Let's it might have been research on the that. fly here it was like it was probably 85 or 86. It had to be around the same time. 86. So yeah, the same year that this came out. Yep. And then that was like a couple years later, I think they, they did part two. But, and if but I, yeah, it was very the robotics in this were I would agree, like even though they're not they don't look alike, but it was still in that same vein, I guess, which was probably state of the art, right, at the time. Oh yeah. I robotics, mean so. the robotics in this and short circuit. They're probably done by the same people. So, <laughs> right. I mean, there, there's probably, you know, one, maybe two, uh, you know, manufacturing or production houses that would actually do that kind of work back in the mid 80s. Um, and they were probably done by the same house. So I always thought that Jinx's head, you know, when it like pops up for whatever reason, it always reminded me of Boo Boo the Owl. From Clash of the Titans. <laughs> yeah. Like the same eyes. It's those big eyes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, otherwise, it, I think the robot worked, I guess. I mean, he was he was kind of a, a BB-8-ish clone, grandfather, great-great-grandfather, whatever, but uh, didn't didn't roll. When they were uh, when they were doing their spacewalk and um, he basically started flying out into space... Um, he had no reason to be, so when he, are you talking about Max? Yeah. When Max was, uh, getting that, that oxygen tank and, mm -hmm. uh, something happened and, and pushed him out, but then he grabbed onto the, uh, radio satellite oh, 
Right. That would have stopped his forward momentum at that point. Yep. And instead, he kept going because supposedly the the oxygen tank pulled him out like that. But no, that's that's not how inertia works. So um, that was was a little implausible. Oh, well, and see, I think yeah, I, I I wouldn't have known that. Like you and and Stargate Pioneer are probably the only two people that <laughs> would know that. And he For also me, wouldn't like, be oh, yeah. drifting off towards the moon. He'd be drifting off in the same but, general but direction as get, the shuttle. We wouldn't get that beautiful moment. I know that beautiful shot. That, yeah. Where they embrace and their helmets are together and you've got the the backdrop of the moon. Oh, it's gorgeous, it right? Was. You wouldn't have that. It was. It was great cinematography. It was <laughs> awful physics. <laughs> Back when you could smoke in NASA. What's funny, so that's that's John Locke, right? That's Terry O'Quinn. I don't know if you if you caught that, right? I don't know if you were a Lost fan or not. No, I'm not. Uh so so Terry O'Quinn, and he's been in other things, don't get me wrong. He's been in a ton of other movies. But this was one of his very first movies, and I think he's listed as like the camp or uh, course or camp director, control director. I don't know, something like that. But uh, he was smoking there. But funny enough, I don't know if he caught this. There is one scene early on. It's when they're at the registration, and he comes across as Hideo Takam- Takamini. Remember, he says like, "Oh, I'm Hideo Takamini." There's a person that's walking. It's a girl. Uh, you know, I don't know, 15 year old girl. She's walking around with a skull that you know, like this the tobacco company. Oh yeah, I didn't. I yeah. didn't catch that at all. Oh wow! <laughs> She's walking around with a hat on it, and I'm like, so yeah. Not only were you know you could smoke at NASA, but apparently they were you know handing out tobacco products and wear uh, while you were there as well. So, but those are the only two references that I found in there for it. But he was the only guy smoking too, which I would have thought there would have been more at least in that time period. Yeah, yeah. I figure mid '80s. It's yeah, still pretty heavily smoked kind of time it was back when everybody was still smoked in the office so right it seems like they would have all lit up the minute that thing took off into space <laughs> um i liked at the end whenever they they made it into the atmosphere and they're they're gliding down towards approach they're they're like all cheering and everything and in my notes i'm like you need to stop celebrating because now you need to land that brick with wings <laughs> <laughs> no they gave them an out yeah Remember, they said oh we've got to bring them in <laughs> Uh, you sure? I, I mean, so, you would know more than I would, but even I was calling BS. I'm like, can they really bring in a ship like that? I thought they had to like... No, they, they actually have auto landing on the shuttle or had it. Do they really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it had been developed by this time, but I want to say it probably had. They they did have automatic landing on the shuttle, at least towards the end. Um, you know, as of 1986, I don't... I'd have to look that up, but yeah, the shuttle did have auto landing. All right. No, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> And why didn't they just flip the switch back on and let them do the re-entry calculations instead of trying to manually? And the shuttles fly by wire. She didn't have to pull up on that, that stick that hard. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I, again, I will trust, I will trust your, <laughs> so, your knowledge more than mine. I'm thinking, yeah, pull, pull harder, Catherine. You got it. You got this. So fly by wire means that you pull on the stick and electronics do all the work for you. They have electronics and servos that that move everything. So instead of having like a an actual cable that connects to your ailerons, where you're you're having to to fight um, fight air resistance to to move anything. So I feel like you're decomposing my childhood, and I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> no, I don't mean to decompose your childhood, but yeah, I'm a nitpicker. <laughs> so that's what I do on this show. <laughs> yeah, well. In my mind, buddy, Catherine brought that thing down. She right? did. 
She did. She by sheer will and strength. Yep. Sheer will and strength in her ninety-eight pound body. Yeah. <laughs> ninety-eight pounds soaking wet. Right. Oh, here it is. Whip me, beat me, take away my charge card. That's funny. that was her line. That is funny. So back in uh, the mid '80s, uh, I had a Garfield poster that um, showed Garfield with a bunch of you know material goods and everything, and the, and the line on the poster was, uh, "We'll have fun, fun, fun until Daddy takes the credit card away." Mm. So instead of the T bird, yeah. So it was it was definitely the material girl type uh, or era. Yeah, I mean that's when everybody you know got in over their heads with debt and savings and loan crisis and everything else. So oh yeah, it's good to be alive in the eighties. What other final thoughts before we get into awards? Do you have? Um, I would just say overall. Again, I mentioned that early on, but I really enjoyed like all the Star Wars quotes in there, and there are a lot of them. Yes. I mean, there's you know he, he Max just is so dissolute, like delusional in terms of what's reality. <laughs> um, but he, you know, in, in one point they have to talk to him. I think it's uh, Kevin Tate Donovan's character has to kind of talk him down, you know, off the edge. Cause he's freaking out. And right. He, ten- he goes into the whole Luke, Luke, you know, kind right. of thing, trying to speak to him as, as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but you know, again, all of those star Wars quotes were, and there, again, there are really are a lot of them in this movie and they're not a hundred percent accurate, but the fact that they were mentioning them in in the movie, I thought, was always uh, a really good uh, high point for me. Oh yeah, because um, like during the, I mean, from the mid '80s until like the late '90s, there was just a a dearth of Star Wars material on on the screen. So yeah, we had the we had the novels, we had a few comics, but uh, that was it. Yeah, there really, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, so that was good. I enjoyed the montage, right? You can't have an 80s movie without a montage, and right. this definitely delivers a montage, which I thought was was appropriate, and it's actually pretty fun because you get Kate Capshaw. Kind of, we really haven't spoken much about her, but um, you know, she's doing the the uh, the voiceover during the montage when they're at space camp and going through their struggles and trying to, to uh, form as a team, um, for lack of a better term. So I thought that was always kind of endearing. It certainly speaks to the times, like you said, about this being an 80s movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's got eighties DNA through and through. It was a good um, movie. I really liked it. I'm I'm glad I watched it. Glad you picked it. Um And you and you scored points with your wife now. So you're welcome. I did. I did. She was like, I think I've seen this movie. I think I want to watch this with you. So <laughs> we watched it late Thursday night and she goes, Yes, I did see this movie. I think I went to the theaters and saw this. So yeah. And that's that's unusual because she's not typically a, a sci-fi or this is this isn't her normal type of movie. Steel Magnolias is is her normal type of movie. So right. And now you've both uh, enhanced my movie experience. So there you go. I want to thank You're you. Welcome. Well, do you have any awards? I do have some awards. Um, and I'll start with the Black Lung Award. Sounds good. Which I'm going to give to the camp director, John Locke, um, because he's like the only guy that's smoking. Um, there, there may have been one other person now that I say that, but I don't remember. It's like somebody in the background, but he's a, he's the the, the uh, camp director. So he's also the um, the guy kind of at NASA. He's the one that we hear talking to them, trying to trying to bring them down. But yeah, I mean, he's huffing and puffing there. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's the same guy that I'm giving my black lung to award to. I could not remember his name for the life of me, but yeah, he's the one that basically constantly has a cigarette in his mouth, yep, whether it's it. lit or not. 
There were a few scenes in there. He had a cigarette <laughs> in his mouth and it wasn't lit at all. It was just a cigarette flopping around in his mouth while he was talking. Yeah. Yeah, just chalk it up to bad editing. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I used to be a smoker way, way back in the day, and there were times where I would just have a cigarette in my mouth and not realize it wasn't lit. So that may have just been, you know, him method acting as a as a smoker. So yeah, there's one close up shot of him. I think uh, they 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 do a close up on his hand, and you can see the cigarettes lit and smoking. So, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, I would I would have given an honorary mention to. Leah Thompson's character, just because she's smoking hot. But, <laughs> That's but, totally uh, valid. Yeah, I, I didn't go that route. <laughs> I stayed true. So for my head lush award, I didn't actually see anybody like really drinking or anything like that. So mine's actually going to go to our our honorary head lush Richard Dawson. <laughs> uh, all right, mine. Is I'm with you too. Nobody drank in this movie. Yeah. Um, which I guess this was a kid. This was a, uh, aimed or geared towards children or young kids uh, at the time. Um, so what I did is I actually I'm giving this to Andy because I think after the movie I can imagine she just went on a tear <laughs> like a drinking bin binge for yeah. everything that happened to her and what what she had to go through. Oh yeah. I mean, there was probably some serious heavy drinking folks that happened uh, once she got back home. Oh, I would be. Yeah, I would be on a bender for probably a week <laughs> trying to trying to yeah. get through that. Yeah, uh, I got a player award too, uh, and this, this hands down, this goes to Kevin. I mean, he was Mac and Catherine the entire film. Yes, trying to get yeah, trying to get some with her. So yeah, um, that's uh, so we 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 picked the same person on the on the player award. Uh, Kevin gets mine for definitely putting those moves on Catherine. He he basically conned her into uh, going to the launch pad for a little romance time. No, no, no. They were just going to look at the rocket. Right, right. They were just going to look at the rocket, but he said, you know, he had it cleared and everything and then they got caught and she said, "Oh, yeah, you didn't really have it cleared, did you?" He's like, "Well, no, not exactly." So. Yeah, no. I was I was being facetious cuz <laughs> I mean, super creeper mode at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, short of a roofie, which I would have expected him to do at some point had they not been busted by, you know, mom and pops there. <laughs> that, that went to a dark place. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that guy, the way he was, I mean, he comes on like that, right? He's like lusting over her yeah, so he much really that was. he impersonates someone else yeah. just to get on her team. Yeah, he stole somebody else's badge just to get on it. Yeah, he, he had her marked from the beginning of the movie. You're right. He is kind of a mm -hmm. creep. I mean, I'm, something tells me this isn't the first time he's taken a woman out to that area, right? He's done this before. He is a true player. <laughs> All right. Who's got your uh, Purple Hippo Award? Uh, so this is the one I struggled with um, to, to give it to. I was going to give it to Max mm -hmm. originally because he's just so completely delusional, right? He's, he, the, the lines between reality and Star Wars are completely blurred. Right. But I ended up giving it to Tish because... Just in that quote alone about the whip me, beat me, <laughs> take away my charge card. Right. Like, it's just so out there. Like, what are you talking about, girl? So, yeah, she's going to, I'm going to have to give it to her. It was very close, though, between Max and her, and I'm giving it to Tish. Well, I tell you what, I will give mine to Max um, because that guy, oh, he was all ready for that spacewalk until he gets out there and <laughs> sees the depth of space and was like, nope, nope, yep. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Later. Get me back in. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. So yeah, him freaking out over his first spacewalk and probably only spacewalk. Can you imagine them trying to go back into space after this? 
Nope. I think uh, I think their NASA careers are done. They're done. Maybe Catherine. I can see Catherine still doing it. You think? But, yeah. Mm, I don't know. You think NASA had let her back in a cockpit? Um. Nope. No, I don't <laughs> think she would either. I think the the sequel that they're planning has her as the you know the new instructor with the brand new bunch of kids and. Oh, that's right. That's all. right. You think she'll play no, that I'm, loving feeling again? <laughs> I. I don't. I'm not. I'm just joking. There's no sequel plan for this movie. Uh, Maybe they'll do a remake someday. Who knows? That seems to be the thing these days to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how. I mean, like I said, it'd be like SpaceX Camp or something. SpaceX Camp. That would actually. Yeah. That actually might work. I'll get Elon Musk to do it. He'll do it. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we uh, take off here? Uh, I see what you did there. Take off. Um, no, um, I think I'm just going to launch out. No, it's, uh, it's been great. It's been fun. Uh, again, thank you for allowing me to pick this movie. Cause, uh, I've always, I've been th- thinking of ways to try to bring it onto the basement and I can't because it doesn't, it's never mentioned in the ready player one novel. So any, any cheap shots I can, can take to try to work it into that. I do, but this was a, an, an opportunity to one, be on the show two hang out with you. And then three really get to talk to a movie, a talk about a movie that, uh, meant a lot to me as a 13-year-old kid growing up. So thank you again for, for the invite. Really appreciate no, it. No, no, really. I mean, thank you for being on. Um, I, it was great having you on. Um, you've, been a, you've been a tremendous guest host. Um, definitely check out Albert on the Cantina cast and uh, the Ready Player One podcast, The Basement. You can check out other shows on eargluemedia.com. Uh, shows like uh, Simply Stogies and... The Many Faces of the Masters of the Universe. Uh, this show is also on Earglue Media. Am I missing anything, Albert? Bad Gamers Anonymous. Bad Gamers Anonymous, that's right. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Our pod crawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podchaser, and Blueberry. You can leave us feedback at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com, on Twitter at status underscore podcast. Uh, you can leave us feedback on our Discord server, which is eargluemedia.com forward slash Discord, or you can email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace at outlook.com. This goes without saying, but the poorly thought out and sometimes questionable opinions expressed on this show are ours and might not be shared by Eargluemedia Media or anyone else for that matter. Thanks very much for being on the show, Albert. I'm Jason. I'm Albert. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>